Hey guys, Maria Menunos here. Before your favorite TV after show begins, we want to let you know about my new show on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. It's called Conversations with Maria, and it's live Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Go to conversationswithmaria.com for more info. Buzz you later. You're tuning in to the online broadcast network, After Buzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries, and your number one source for after show entertainment. <laughs> TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing after shows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! <laughs> I love the intensity of that music. Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome. I know where you're uh, located. So I want to welcome you to After Buzz TV's episode recap and review and breakdown of The Prophet. And of course, we're starting on season three. We're right now on episode two and three. And the way that we're rolling this out is uh, we're going to be doing two episodes at a time, which also gives us the recap. So we're going to be starting with a progress report from... Uh, the previous episodes, shows that we've already hit. So we're going to be covering everything here as we picked it up in Season 3. But you can watch us, as always, on AfterBuzzTV.com for the live tapings. We're getting the hours set up on this one. Um, you can also catch the uh, replays or get the, iP- uh, the, you know, they're called podcasts these days, the podcasts on iTunes. Just go to the AfterBuzz uh, iTunes uh, recap show of the Prophet, and you can download us there. You can reach me. I'm Chris Howard. You can reach me at Chris Howard Live on Twitter as well as on Instagram. You can also find uh, find me at uh, legendarylivingdaily.com for quotes, tips, all sorts of fun stuff, and legendarytv.com for my YouTube channel. So, welcome. I'm uh, thrilled to have you here today, and boy, we got a lot to cover, because as I said, uh, we're jumping right into this with uh, with two episodes at a time. We're in season three, and we're uh, we're covering a, a whole heck of a lot, uh, but it's a, it's a great show to be doing this with, uh, because once again, I'm a big fan of the show. I think uh, CNBC has a, a hit with The Prophet, uh, been doing incredibly well. And in episode two, we're looking at progress reports. And uh, we're going to break down everything that's been happening uh, with a, a few of the businesses that Marcus Lemonis has gone into, uh, that he's gone into to help. And once again, with this particular show... This is a lot like it, in Shark Tank, they'll make the investment, but then it stops there. Oftentimes, they've begun to do progress reports. We do the after show for that as well, which is brilliant. You should definitely tune in there. Uh, but in the, in the profit, that's where everything begins, right? So we've got uh, the investment is where everything begins. And Marcus's specialty is going into these businesses, looking at what, what what's working, and then turning them around. This is slightly different than you would look at in Shark Tank as well, where an investment is made in a healthy business with growth potential. Marcus is really looking for healthy businesses with growth potential with a challenge, something that's caused them to go to the brink of perhaps... Uh, closing their doors. And 
Why I love this show is because you yourself may find yourself in a place as more and more people are going the entrepreneurial path and uh, jumping into launching their own businesses, whether it be online or offline. We've got uh, 245,000 new small businesses that are launching in the U.S. alone every single month. And we know the statistics of 80% of businesses going out of business within the first five years. So what that means is, is that there's this huge desire to launch new businesses, but at the same time, there's a gap. And the gap is a skill gap, a knowledge gap. And, uh, you know, I think that in studying these shows and watching these shows, we have this tremendous opportunity to fill in the knowledge, the ideas, the strategies, the tactics to uh, make our own businesses work. So invite people in for the journey to watch both uh, on CNBC as, as well as watching and enjoying these AfterBuzz TV breakdowns where we're taking a look at, uh, you know, we're able to take it. Whoops. Whoa, I'm hitting my microphone. I'm getting too excited. Um, but we were able to step out and take a big, you know, kind of a dissociated view of what's happening within the episode itself. So we can break it down even more. And they do a phenomenal job at CNBC. And Marcus does a, a phenomenal job as well. I'm once again a big fan. Uh, but there's even more uh, details that we can throw in and we can chat about. And I'd love to have you chatting with us as well. So feel free, as always, uh, to tweet me, uh, live tweet. Uh, you know, I'm going to be a little bit struggling with because I want to stay here with you. Uh, but you can tweet me at Chris Howard Live on Twitter once again. And I will respond uh, after the fact. If you're watching this right now, on YouTube, by all means, you know, like it many, many, many times. You can only do it once. Um, uh, put in any questions, ideas, thoughts, contributions that you want to make, because I really consider you to be the co-host of this particular show right now. Uh, and then uh, throw out any ideas on Twitter as well and, and start the conversation. Join the conversation. That's what it's all about. Uh, so we're here to entertain, educate, and inspire uh, throughout the course of this little time that we have to spend together. So into episode two, uh, season three, progress reports. And uh, Marcus started out with uh, taking a look at four of the businesses that he's worked with over the past two years, as we're in season three right now. Um, they did such a phenomenal job with season one, season two, half a million U.S. viewers alone uh, that they said, you know what, definitely we're going to kick this up and we're going to uh, roll into season three. And uh, just uh, kind of a uh, forecast, you know, I'll put my uh, I, I don't I don't have to put my Swami hat on because it's been announced already. But Marcus and CNBC are going to be launching a show, a new show uh, soon that's called The Partner. And the reason is, is because. David, Marcus has, he's, he's launched and, and participated in so many of these businesses that now he's going to be looking for a partner. It's along the same lines as The Apprentice, but he's looking for a partner to actively run these businesses. And so it'll be along the, the lines of a, The Apprentice, but based on the investments that he's made already, managing this investment portfolio, and there'll be a competition. And that'll be coming out on uh, MSNBC very, very soon. Uh, maybe you could be the next partner. And that comes with a $163,000 uh, annual salary, as well as I believe it's a one or 2% uh, interest in Marcus's investment portfolio. So all the businesses. And over the past 23 years, they brought this up in, in this week's episode, the progress report episode, 
over the past 20, uh, no, I'm sorry, punished 23 years. Sometimes I flip the numbers a little bit. Um, <laughs> over the past two years, as they've run this show, uh, Marcus has introduced 23 business opportunities uh, that he's actually had the opportunity to invest money in. And I'm not talking about small amounts. If you've been watching the series, you've noticed that he's been investing large amounts of his own money, his own capital into these businesses. And what I found interesting to discover uh, just today uh, was that he isn't paid by the production company. And uh, so that's number one. He's not paid by the production company. And number two, he the money that he invests in these businesses is all of his own capital. So this is his own money he's putting in. He's he's invested close to twenty three million dollars. I should maybe do that. Twenty three million dollars so far in those businesses, and he uh, comes from a place of wanting to save jobs, to build people's dreams, and to help people from having to close the door uh, because you know the American dream is still alive, but. Uh, it may be more difficult than ever before uh, to get into business. Actually, it's easier than ever before to get into business with online and that type of thing. You can throw a website up for 200 bucks. Uh, you don't have to have necessarily the brick-and-mortar structure, but there's also more competition than ever before. So you have to be good, hence this show, and hence my love for the show. This is uh, my, favorite, uh, my favorite show out there on, uh, on TV today. I, I would dare to say. Um, so let's take a look at his first uh, investment. There were four investments in this progress report show. First one was Cooperberg Sports. So Cooperberg Sports um, was or was and is a family-run uh, business. And what these guys do is they've forever they've made baseball bats like mini baseball bats. So if you went to a baseball game, uh, at one time these guys were in every baseball stadium across the United States, virtually every baseball stadium. And they had the little mini bats that you buy, so souvenir-type bats. And this has been their business for uh, quite some time. They had gotten up to the point where they were north of 300 or they were north of 3 million dollars in annual revenue. And they hit a point that a lot of small businesses may hit, um, which is, you know, the moment that they became and we, the show didn't say how the competition came in, but the competition came in. The moment that they, they hit that three million dollar mark where they were doing pretty darn well, a big competitor came in and that big competitor started uh, pushing the revenues down, obviously, because now you've got. Somebody competing for the same for the same dollar, and so their revenues were nearly cut in half, uh, and they were operating at a loss. They were looking at uh, potentially having to close their doors, which is, you know, more you know more power to him to Marcus and kudos to him for going after these businesses that are on the verge of collapse and really turning them around. And it, what's fun about these progress shows is you get to see that he's he's having some success and not. Everyone is a success, as we're going to see uh, in this episode and as we're going to discuss here. And that's the reality. Uh, you know, I come from the world of personal development where there's a lot of people that are, you know, you know, out there think positive, think positive, use the law of attraction, use the secret. And, uh, you know, there's definitely something to be said for positive thinking. And, you know, you, what you focus on is what you're going to manifest. And having said that, um, life is not all 
uh, rainbows and, and unicorns, right? Um, life, uh, oftentimes we have challenges and certainly in business we have challenges and there can be unknown factors that can come in and tip the apple cart and where once things were going phenomenally well, you thought you were on top of the world, something can come in, uh, you know, take your feet out from underneath you and, uh, and we have a, a shift. So there was a big shift for this company. They lost uh, nearly half their revenue, as I said. And this is a family-owned company. And it's a small family-owned business. Once again, family-owned businesses can be very successful. Um, however, we do have interesting dynamics whenever family dynamics also integrate into the business world. Um, some dear friends of mine are the Gracie family, the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu family. I've been training with them for years. Um, I did get the, the bandage off my thumb. If you saw me last week, I was all bandaged up because I was bleeding. It's okay when you go and you train with them. You don't bleed necessarily, but I was bleeding because um, uh, I went in there and played full out, uh, which you want to do in business as well. Um, but they're good friends of mine, and it's interesting to watch how they've gone through periods of, uh, you know, with their own family where there's they're they're batting heads with the competition right speaking of baseball bats they're batting heads with the competition they teach jujitsu but they're the largest sporting family in history and what happens is is because in life if you're out there uh, doing business or there's a, you know competition that you're dealing with that's one thing and you always have the challenges with that where there's competition we can try to look to uh, align ourselves with the competition to the best of our ability. And sometimes that, that, that doesn't always work out that way. With the jiu-jitsu family, not only are they uh, butting heads with the competition, but all their competition happens to be their first cousins, second cousins, third cousins. And uh, I asked Tori and Gracie, I said, why are you, you know, uh, why is there so many challenges with the family? And he explained that to me, and it makes perfect sense. Their family's their competition. So uh, it's quite heated, but they're, uh, you know, South American, and things get heated there anyway. So back over here to this family business, right, the baseball business. We've got Scott who is running the business, and there's a couple of other family members in there. And what's interesting is Marcus goes into this business, he discovers pretty quickly that one of the major challenges inside the business is Scott himself. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's not uncommon with this. Remember, Marcus is looking primarily for three things. He's looking for people, and then process, uh, and then product. And I'll restate that over and over again because, you know, Marcus restates it over and over again. And I think there's a tremendous lesson in the basics. Bruce Lee said you could, uh, you know, learn 10,000 different kicks or do 10 kicks 10,000 times. And that's really the path to mastery. So getting back to basics is the path to mastery. And that appears to be Marcus's strategy as he goes in uh, on these shows. And by the way, I'd love to have you, Marcus, on the show. So if you want to come on on a guest, I'd love to have you uh, come and chat with me a little bit because uh, uh, honor your way of doing things. And I'm just backseat driving here. So um, <laughs> so uh, here's, here's what happened. Marcus ended up buying into the business. Um, and what Marcus's vision for the business was, he saw it as being something much more than just a baseball bat company. Because from his perspective, going in and attempting to beat out this competitor, 
and we don't know uh, if the competitor had bre- better, uh, you know, better uh, scalability, or they were able to get better margins on their product. And you know, whenever you're dealing with a commodity, it could just be, um, you know, a battle of who can, you know, take the least amount of margin. And rather than getting into just that battle, Marcus looked at the business and he said, "You know what? You guys are so much more." than just baseball. You're so much more than just baseball bats. And what he actually did, he did, he chunked up on the issue. If we think in different levels of abstraction, you know, this is a, the the company thought of themselves as being a baseball bat company uh, where they had these souvenir baseball bats. But if you ask yourself, what's that an example of? You chunk up, we gain a little flexibility in our thinking. So we get a little bit more abstract. What's a baseball bat uh, company uh, for souvenir baseball bats, an example of. It's an example of a souvenir business you might come to. And he said, you're not in the business of bats. You're in the business of souvenirs. And when he helped them to change their thinking around the type of business that they were in, you can imagine, okay, we can serve the baseball industry, but what happened if we went and we we created boutique or individualized souvenirs that are sport-based that go beyond just that industry. Well, now you've got the ability to serve many, many more people in many different environments. And this is where Marcus also excels from a contact perspective. It's part of the magic of Marcus is that he has, and that's also part of the magic of Shark Tank when people align with smart money. Uh, And Shark Tank is smart money. Many of the people that go on that television show, they're looking for not just the money investment. People will say they look for the media opportunity. Sure. But you get a a flash of a media opportunity that's only going to take you so far. You can ride on being on the show for so far. Ultimately, you got to stand on your own two feet beyond that. But what I would see as being the deeper level value is the partnering, the partnering with the shark or in this case, the partnering with Marcus that allows you to potentially, if your product and service is brought up to the standard that it needs to be, to potentially leverage that product and service through various distribution networks and gain greater distribution. Um, Hence the reason why Marcus is focusing on the uh, people uh, first, because he has to be in business with them, the process to ensure that the process works and the product to make sure that you're matching the right people with the right product and you've got the process to serve it. And then you can look at now, how do we distribute it on larger in larger and larger ways? And I think we're going to see that thematically through what Marcus has done here. So um, looking at these baseball bats, Cooperberg Sport, Scott family, uh, they were, let's see, I apologize for looking down at my notes. I'm number one, but you're, I mean, that's, I'm only one, but you're number one. Um, so as I look here, we've got the Scott family, um, daughter, Jackie, uh, the, they were a the big seller. They went into a free fall. They wound up, get this $700,000 in debt. And their revolu- uh, revenues hashed uh, because of this competition uh, taking them out. And by the way, in, as your business begins to grow, competition does come in. They'll either, uh, this is why Warren Buffett talks about having a moat around your castle, having a durable, sustainable competitive advantage that makes it very difficult for other people to enter into the marketplace. One could be the sheer dominance in the mindset of the consumer. In terms of the baseball bats, uh, I don't know that they really had a durable competitive advantage with that. 
Um, I, you know, the consumer wasn't thinking, boy, I need one of these Greenberg sports mini baseball bats. They, you know, they're looking at the, looking around at the stadium and they say, boy, that's a cool baseball bat. I think I'll buy that. And if somebody's selling it cheaper next to you, that could be a problem or under, you know, able offer to offer a better deal to the particular stadium that could cause a problem. Um, so here's how Marcus came in. He ended up putting in $635,000 for 30% equity, uh, inside the business, a 30% uh, equity stake. And uh, what ended up happening, so because this is a progress report, that was his initial, that was what he came in initially for. What ended up happening was in the progress report, he wound up having to put in over a million dollars of his own money inside what they were doing. However, what they were able to do in terms of a turnaround was huge. So they reimagined, we hear a lot of that in Hollywood these days, reimagining a story. They reimagined who they were and they looked at themselves as being a marketing company of uh, sporting souvenirs, a, a, actually a product company producing sporting souvenirs. Uh, they came up with a lot of different types of creations. Marcus, as always, goes in and he wants to clean up the production. So clean up the factory. Uh, the factory is always a mess from his perspective. Um, so when he can clean up the process and the production line, what he can do is he can lower the expenses because you have less mistakes. So with less mistakes, your expenses go down, the margins grow. Um, they ended up creating all sorts of new things. So they went into licensing ponchos and umbrellas. Uh, they wound up, what Marcus was really most impressed with was they wound up um, taking the margins to 50% on their product sales. So they increased the margin by about 12 points. Um, and they not only did they do that, but he hooked them up also with some of the connections that he has. So once you got the people, the right people on the team, which is always part of the process, once you've got the uh, the process and the production line cleaned up, so it's clean, so you're not making the mistakes, so that you're lowering those costs, and you've got the products figured out right, so you know who you are and know how to serve the marketplace in the best way, uh, then market uh, Marcus is head into, and this is one of the things I had, one of the gripes earlier on in different seasons was, I was wondering why he wasn't going straight into building an infrastructure and focusing on the marketing, but I see his, uh, you know, I see his process and with, especially with these brick and mortar organizations, it makes a whole lot of sense to go through the steps that he's going through in terms of a turnaround. So he's taken them from where they are currently, which is where they don't want to be on the verge of closing the doors to where they want to be. And before he's going to roll it out to his friends, distributors, and here's the value of the smart money once again coming into place because Marcus rolls them out to NASCAR. So now not only are they in baseball stadiums, but now they're creating things for NASCAR, like these little ponchos um, in a ball um, that are, uh, you know, that are, that you can, that you can, uh, where that's what you do with a poncho in the rain, right? Or umbrellas that they've got um, that are tailor made and boutique made, and all of them are uh, marked in the branding of whoever they whoever it is that they're representing with team branding and that type of stuff. Um, so in the end, they were able to make a really great turnaround. Um, I'm impressed 
at the amount of time they were able to do it in. So Marcus is really doing his job on this one. Uh, I, it, I believe it was about five to six months after they did this that they totally revamped everything. You get to watch it on the episode. Most impressive at the end of the day was they were able to sign a deal with Walmart. Uh, and this deal was a, a half a million dollar sales. So their sales were at three million previously. They had dropped down to right around the two million dollar mark when the competition were edging them out. After that, they brought it back up. So with Marcus's help, they got it back up to three million with higher margins. Now at a fifty percent margin, but in addition to that, they uh, were now had a deal with NASCAR and they just signed a deal with Walmart to be rolled out to thousands of stores for when it rains that they'd pull out these uh, you know, these mini stands that had umbrellas and ponchos and uh, they placed a half a million dollar order in a single order. So bravo, good job guys, right on track. Love to have you on the show, any of you, uh, any of the uh, Scott family business, uh, we'd love to have you to talk to you a little bit about that deal and what's happened for you since then. Let's look at deal number two. So still on uh, progress reports, and here we got uh, Unique Hair. Now, Unique Hair is a salon, and it's a hair salon that uh, specializes. They've they've got uh, basically it's a hair salon, and like any other hair salon, uh, I don't know if it was so unique in the beginning. What the uh, unique aspect was that Carolyn, the woman who ran the salon. Um, was fantastic. She was willing to work. She had her heart and soul in her business. And once again, we're looking for people inside the business, as at least Marcus is. And uh, then secondly, what made it unique was she did carry her own branded product line, including hair care products and different types of things along, along those lines. Um, when Marcus came in, once again, uh, this is one of those where I go, boy, is he going to invest? Is he going to put the money in? Uh, because, you know, I, you have to wonder, are the margins really there? Uh, but he ended up coming in for a quarter of a million he offered her for a 20% stake in the salons themselves. Uh, I believe she had uh, one salon and then maybe another location that she did. And uh, one of the things that Marcus is clear to point out in a couple of these different deals is that when people, entrepreneurs are very fast to expand. But when, when the basic structure isn't working within the first location, to expand beyond the first location, I think this is one of the big lessons that we can draw from these episodes. When the basic structure isn't working in the first location, it's pure, it's the kiss of death to roll out to multiple locations because then what you're rolling out is just a broken infrastructure. So uh, he's a big fan of getting the singular location working and firing on all cylinders. We're going to see that in this one and another one uh, that's coming up here before thinking of rolling into multiple cities and stuff. If you're not profitable in one, why the heck would you be rolling out broken systems? That's uh, just a, uh, a plan for disaster, right? So comes in, he wants 20% of the salons, there were two, I believe, and 51% of the product line. So he has controlling interest on the product line. Um, Marcus is also, I mentioned this in our last episode, I think he's really tightened his ship from episode, from seasons one and two. And I'll bet you anything that the reason was, was because he was putting money in, uh, buying a minority share in the business, and then the majority shareholder was claiming control. That must have happened in season one, season two behind the scenes, and a few of the different uh, things, and which makes sense. 
uh, the, the majority shareholder would would have control. So Marcus now is right up front. He's saying, when you take this money, I'm in total control. I'm, I have a hundred percent say in what happens in this business, even if he's buying in for a 30 percent stake. Right. So the other uh, shareholder may have 70 percent, but Marcus is saying I'm in total control. And I get it. I get it when he does that. Um, I've had, I've been in business relationships myself where, uh, that was unspoken, but assumed by certain people. And that's not comfortable. It's not comfortable for the investor, nor is it comfortable for the entrepreneur because the investor is going to have their way of looking at it. And the investor is going to say, Hey, you're spending my money. And the entrepreneur is saying, Hey, you bought in for 30%. You're not the one who has the say. So, uh, Marcus is now coming in and being very clear on camera, right? So we have evidence. We can go back and look at it. And in these instances, Marcus is driving them. Uh, what I would say is typically in the right direction from my perspective as an outside viewer. Remember, my feelings are my own feelings. These are not the views of After Buzz TV. Uh, but in any case, uh, he goes in, uh, takes that 51% controlling interest in the product line, Beautiful renovation that he rolls out. This was, uh, you know, the, the salon was a mess. Not enough customers. Uh, Carolyn, the woman that owned the salon, who we'd love to have on here as a guest as well. You can Skype in or come in physically if you're in the area, but we can definitely take you by Skype as well. Um, and, and speak with you about this. But Carolyn, uh, Heart of Gold, once again, she really cared, loved her business. She was in tears because she was behind on the mortgage. She was carrying all sorts of debt. She had a split with a former partner who was looking to force her out of business and didn't care, um, which is also the case because, as you probably know, I'm preaching to the choir here if you're listening to this show, when relationships start, uh, they can be great, but when they end, it's not usually because they're going great, right? So, uh, so the, Carolyn was going through some rough times. She had a manager who was coming in, but not working on the busiest days, Saturday, Sunday. I think they said Monday as well, which uh, surprises me in the hair business. They usually take the Mondays off, but um, the manager wasn't coming in. Uh, on the business, busiest days. And the manager seemed to have an attitude, uh, or at least was portrayed in that way. Well, yeah, she had an attitude. She said, I'm help, I'm here to help you manage. She said to Caroline, I'm not here to manage your business for you. So obviously there was a business relationship that was formed without clear uh, communication and clear designation of responsibility, as well as a clear understanding received of that responsibility. Uh, it can happen to anybody. It's happened to me, a seasoned business owner. Uh, somebody like Marcus can call that out. He called them out on it and said, this is absolutely not working because as you can imagine, this manager's taking a huge chunk of money um, from the from the organization, from the uh, hair salon, but not doing what they need. In addition, the costs were way too high. So uh, they had no idea about their inventory because the place was a mess. They didn't know when they needed to order more inventory. They had no controls on that. They didn't really understand the numbers behind the scene, which is very uh, common inside these businesses that Marcus is looking at. It also happens to be Marcus's strength. Uh, I think this is a lesson for both investors as well as entrepreneurs alike. You want to know your numbers. You know, I uh, barely made it through math in school, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how I got through there. I think it was just, uh, I'll, I'll chalk it up to charm and 
if you don't think I'm charming, please uh, let me know. Hashtag uh, I love you, Chris. Um, but in any case, um, I made it through somehow without that. But now I'd kick it in my head, kicking myself in the head years later because now I have to change my whole beliefs and say I'm sharp as a tack as, uh, in math because math is the language of finance. It's the language of business. And, uh, you know, one uh, lesson I think that any business owner can take from this as well is go out there and educate yourself financially, especially if you didn't get a traditional business degree. And we have more and more young entrepreneurs going out there and, uh, you know, launching businesses that haven't gone through traditional education. It's been said that with traditional education, you can learn, uh, you can earn a living with, for, uh, with uh, self-education, you can earn a fortune. You know, I was blessed to uh, do millions upon millions upon millions of dollars in sales and never went to traditional education. However, I've continually educated myself along the way, and uh, there's always room to learn more. Always, you know, the more – it's like Einstein said, the more I learn how – or the more I realize how little I know, the more I want to learn. And the more I want to learn, the more I get excited about it, the more thrilled I am about it. So fall in love with learning how to be the best at the game of launching a business and uh, – You'll, you'll constantly be learning, as was Caroline here. So she's getting schooled on the numbers like everybody else by Marcus. Uh, to the point where here they're about, uh, about six months after they did the renovation on the shop, cleaned it up, it's beautiful, fired the general manager, which is one of those things that has to be done in some cases. Um, so they cut their costs, cleaned up the... Uh, you know, everything that had to be done. And then they got listed in Salon Today as one of the top 20 salons in America. And that's within five to six months after Marcus made his contributions. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't come into this with preconceived notions of being a cheerleader for Marcus, but I'm a cheerleader for Marcus on this. He did a fantastic job as he did in the first one. Um, if I think different, I'll say it, but he did a fantastic job and I'll say it from my place of having done what I've done. And whenever, you know, you, if you don't walk in the other person's shoes, you're speaking from ignorance, basically. So um, it's easy to backseat drive, remember. <laughs> All right. They, what I loved about this episode is that they uh, renamed. So they renamed the product line as well as the store. And uh, the store was called Unique Hair. And now it's Erica Cole by Raquel. And that was based around the names of Carolyn's daughters. Um, so she wove those in, but she, and they, they showed the product line that they, that they rolled out and it was beautiful. The packaging, they repackaged all of it. I mean, you'd think you were walking into a store on Rodeo Drive, uh, really, really did a fantastic, uh, job with that product line and upping that. Um, let's see, of the money that Marcus put in, he put 250K in and oftentimes, you know, the entrepreneur thinks if they're getting an investment into their business that it's all going to go into their pocket, right? Well, boy, I just sold 5% for 250K. I've, you know, I'm going to put that money in the bank. Not, not so. What they did was they put 150K into new equipment for the, uh, you know, for the salon, uh, into cleaning it out and renovating. The entire 250K went into building that up, getting their inventory correct and that type of thing. Uh, let's see here. Um, all problems. We got that. They were compounded by the split with their partner. Uh, what Marcus was most impressed in here and what I think is significant to point out was the talent and unbelievable work ethic of Carolyn. So she had the talent. She had the work ethic, which is on the people front. And if you got the, the right team in place, 
Um, that's what investors more often than not say they invest in the team. And you'll see in other shows like Shark Tank where people will pass up a great product or a great idea that has real potential just because they don't want to work with the person. Right? So they may pass up on that or they'll say, you know what, I'll take that investment, but you have to go. I'm going to buy you out, um, <laughs> which is kind of shocking for the entrepreneur oftentimes. Uh, but uh, in this case, he loved uh, her and he said that that was the tipping point. That's the reason why he invested in this business. He goes back by to see her in this progress report. Uh, let's see. They had the, they were working on a Saturday. They had eight customers walk in the door. She said before uh, her, she was working with Marcus on a typical Saturday. They would do between five and six k in revenue. That Saturday, they did ninety five hundred dollars in revenue. So brilliant. They had a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar increase uh, in in revenue. I believe that was a projection based on how well they were doing for the year. And what he was even more impressed with was a 14% increase in margin, uh, because that means uh, that they're able to, even if your gross revenues go up, that if they were losing before, which they were, that that can tip them over into, uh, into a profitable company on the net side. Uh, he sat down, he gave her a haircut or no, he gave her a haircut. She asked him for a haircut. If, if he gave her a haircut, we, God knows what would happen. Right? So she gave him a haircut and he called her on something. She wasn't taking a paycheck. And he said, listen, you got to take a paycheck. If I'm in business with somebody, you have to pay yourself. And she was hesitant to do that. Um, but he had to bully her and beat her up a little bit to take the paycheck. Um, and it was just, you know, her heart's in her business. She didn't want to do that. But I got to tell you, from a business owner perspective, if your partner isn't really taking their pay paycheck, something to be aware of, that also tells you that you don't have an adequate or an, a, a real understanding of what the real money in the business is. So if they're not paying themselves or if they're paying expenses from other places or putting their own money into it without your knowledge, um, then there's there's hidden aspects of the business. There's not enough transparency in order to really understand what's happening in the business. So clear that the paycheck has to be paid and we need to have that level of transparency. I don't say that because I've always done it perfectly. I say that because I've made my share of mistakes and uh, will continue to for the rest of my life. So we're continuing to take what lessons we can here. Um, let's see. Last year, they did about $1 million. That year, they were set to do $1.4 million. But once again, it was the increase in the margin, 14% increase. That means they were able to deliver the product at a lower cost that impressed Marcus because that means they get to keep more at the end of the day. And uh, beautiful, beautiful win on that one. Let's look at number three. We've got the business is custom stitch embroidery silk screening. And this is one of those businesses where it wasn't in the end. I'm going to do a reveal here prematurely. Um, that's like, you know, telling the punchline of the joke before we hit the joke. But um, this one doesn't end so well. Right. So Marcus goes in to look at this business as it was from a previous study. We're still in the progress report. And it was a custom embroidery and silk screening business. The name of the business was Artistic Stitch. Queens, New York, uh, 2,800 where, uh, square foot warehouse. And he's kind of taken aback as he walks into this business because the business was a, uh, it was doing well. They were, uh, two, they were doing $2 million a year in their core competence. Warren Buffett says, stay within your circle of competence in terms of your investments. 
uh, he went in and he saw that they were within their circle of competence doing $2 million, and they were profitable. And then they had a big idea. And the big idea was to take this, think about this for a second. It was a silk screening custom embroidery business and turn it into a uh, multiplex sport complex. So now, I mean, now it's got a basketball court. It has nothing to do with, you know, silk screening and embroidery. Uh, it's got a basketball court for kids. You know, sounds like a uh, you know, socially responsible thing there. You know, it's got rock climbing wall. It's got uh, a, an Italian restaurant in it. And the way that Sal, who was, there's two guys in the business, Sal and Nick. Sal's the idea guy. Uh, Nick is supposed to be the sales guy. And Sal says, this is a multiplex of businesses, we'll quote them exactly, that really work well in conjunction with one another. And Marcus looks at it and he says, it's not a multiplex of businesses. This is a shopping mall that you've created. The businesses had nothing to do with one another. And uh, once again, for anybody's business, it's easy to backseat drive after the fact, but it really uh, makes no sense. I, I understand from the entrepreneurial perspective, the business owner wanting to follow their heart and create something um, that is the likeness of their dreams. Although you look at this and it's just, there's no logic or reason that one could possibly look at and say, boy, this was a natural extension of the original business, which is what Marcus points out. Marcus says uh, that he'll come in. Um, and, but as he starts to come in, he realizes that there's a lot of problems with his business. So Sal has problems with the landlord. He hasn't paid the rent on this 2,800 square foot warehouse in three years. No rent has been paid. Uh, they, so they owed him $120,000. Okay. Um, Marcus put in 650K. I remember the original episode for half of the business. Now, this is a 50% stake of the business. Um, and it was under uh, certain stipulations. I, I don't know that Marcus said that he had total control, and that was the issue. And that's what I think he's cleaned up in some of these post episodes. And I'm going to uh, pick up the pace a little bit because I want to get everything in here. But he ended up putting 650k in, and he said it was on the contingency. He did say this that that money was going to be used in certain ways. And so the money was to be uh, to get rid of the basketball court, get rid of the Italian restaurant, get rid of the rock climbing wall and everything that didn't support the core business where they had once been successful. And it wasn't until after Marcus did the deal and said they were moving forward with the deal that he found out that Sal hadn't paid the rent, that Sal was running all sorts of personal expenses through the business, um, that there was, I mean, there was just one thing after another compounding to the point where Marcus got the vibe that Sal wasn't being forthright. And that, that was their first big wedge in the relationship, that there appeared to not be the level of transparency that Marcus had, had expected. Now, I don't know what happens behind the scenes, but it also did look like that you know, Sal may never have been asked some of those questions. So to, you know, uh, to kind of play the devil's advocate for, for a moment, and that may have been why Marcus has had to get tighter in times, in terms of the show. Although what I will say is when you got to make these investments in these short time frames, sometimes I, it must be live and learn with the show. Nonetheless, Marcus put the money in. Um, he took Nick, the salesperson, off salary and made him a hundred percent commission because Nick was working out of the yellow pages and things just weren't moving. He wanted to light the fire underneath Nick and obviously it was necessary. 
Marcus, uh, re- they renamed the business to Queen's Vibe, um, which looked really cool. The branding was very cool. Um, they later, uh, uh, let's see, all this stuff went down. Marcus then leaves. And part of what he gets upset about is that he found so much of what was happening with Sal behind the scenes. Uh, and then he pumped money into the business. And Sal and Nick, what they ended up doing was they took the money that Marcus put in. He had bought them a new $27,000 printer, uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, and they had used his funds in ways that were not the ways that he had agreed upon. They were taking extra money out for themselves, that which that she had not agreed upon. Um, he comes back to check things out, and he knew the relationship was rocky already, only to find out that all they had put in place this really cool printing press where you could print your own T-shirts and stuff. So they went back to their core competencies. He comes back. The name of the business had been changed back to the uh, to the original name, the sports complex, basketball courts back, the walls back. The $27,000 printer that he had purchased for them has now been sold, right? And he can't get any straight answers. The landlord's pissed off because they still owe him 120 grand. And the money that Marcus had given was meant to go to the landlord and they didn't use it for that. So Marcus felt that he really got ripped off in this case, and he said, they're going to have fun when I bring the tax bill to them. And he says, I wish them well, but uh, that did not, uh, that just didn't work out for him, right? And he says, sometimes these investments don't work out. Uh, so I'm going to skip over that one and move over to the last one because we get a, a, a abbreviated period of time. And I want to make sure to talk out about episode three here, Tony's minis. But before we do that, we'll take a, the, uh, take a look at the last progress report. That was the Key Lime Pie business. So he went out to uh, Key West, Florida. So it's the Key West Key Lime Pie business. Goes out to Key West, Florida, and he finds this business. It's a uh, a couple, Jim and Allison, that own this business. They make key lime pie. Marcus tries the pie. He says it's good, but doesn't feel it's great. Nothing uh, really spectacular or standout about it at first. Right. So he tries the key lime pie. And then he asks about the ingredients, um, and the ingredients were all purchased powdered ingredients from other places. None of it was homemade. And these guys, Jim and Allison, were really looking at rolling out uh, faster. Actually, this will be Tony, Tony's Minis. We'll see this pattern that plays out as well that, uh, that can kill an entrepreneur or kill a business that could be working well or could be brought to working well. Right. So Jim and Allison had opened up a second store location, a second pie location when they hadn't had the first location together and really working. So they opened up a second location, a second store, and the second store was losing 20, about uh, 25 grand a year. Right. So it's a it's a money losing operation. But they opened up something prematurely once again. Marcus takes a look at the business. He says, you know, this business could really work great if. Um, when we, if you look at the business, if you become a destination business, not a franchise at this point, once again, the entrepreneur who wants to roll out a broken model prematurely could be, uh, you know, the, operating with a kiss of death there. He said, this could be a great business if you're willing to. I'll put money in. And he said, I'll put in up to $450,000, right? So I'll put in up to that if you're willing to, the other store is going to close. And uh, we're going to make this a destination specialty key lime pie 
uh, restaurant in Florida where you can find the best stuff, homemade ingredients. And uh, Jim says, no way. There's no way we're closing the other store. And Jim gets angry, punches the wall. Marcus says, looks like we got some anger issues. There's an employee that's working for this uh, store named Tammy. She's uh, being paid $300 a week. She's pregnant, bartending halftime. She's working 40 hours a week. Um, she's invaluable to the, uh, to the pie location. Marcus recognizes that once again, going back to the people as being the key thing that works. Neither Jim or Allison were taking a salary from the business. Once again, we see this over and over again, people not taking salaries, take your salaries, right? So they're not taking salaries from the business. So Marcus says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to come in. I'll take 51% of your business, pay you up to 450K, so it probably was going in in increments. Um, you'll have 49%. He's saying this to Jim and Allison. Uh, and I'll add into that a dollar commission, or not a, do- or a dollar salary, it's a commission, um, per pie that we sell, and 15 cents per slice that we sell. On that, they shook hands for a deal because now they were at least going to get money in their pocket, and all they had were losing operations at this point. I think that was a good deal for them. And his condition was he was 100% in control, and his condition also was that he was putting Tammy in charge. He sits her down. He rewards her. He gives her six-month salary in advance. She, I mean, she's very pregnant in the episode, so she's got cash in her hand. She feels uh, respected. It's a very emotional moment for her. With the cash in hand, uh, and then her salary is increased to $1,000 a month so she doesn't have to bartend anymore, she goes to work to increasing the store. Uh, long story short, she takes the pies and she comes up with original things. They close down the second store. Uh, Jim still wanted to be involved and he kept interfering with the business, even though Marky said, or, or not Marky, uh, sorry, Marky, even though uh, uh, Marcus said that uh, Jim wasn't to be involved. So Marcus ends up buying him out completely. The buyout happens with $65,000 cash in Jim uh, and Allison's hands. So they get 65000 cash on a couple of losing businesses. In addition to that, they still get their $1 per pie and their $0.15 cents per slice sold. So that's a nice little something coming in. They were able to cash out on the business that they built. Uh, and in addition, Marcus paid off the rest of the debts of the organization. So I think for Jim and Allison, with businesses that were going nowhere and losing on a losing track, it's a good deal. For Tammy, it's a great deal, too, because Marcus takes her to the old bar where she used to bartend at. And he says, you've done so much for this business. I want to make you 20% partner. And he rewards her for her hard work with 20% of the business. Uh, there's more things that happen in that episode as well. But uh, great episode. I love the way Marcus approached that. He found a way to make it more uh, profitable. And uh, when you look at that, is that something that you can eventually take out and and sell on larger levels? There's no doubt about it. Now, let's cover Tony's minis because we're on that one right now. This is actually episode three. Uh, Marcus ends up putting in Tony's minis is a cupcake uh, store and it operates out of a cupcake shop that operates out of New York. Uh, There's ugly scaffolding out front. There's two uh, rundown businesses on either side. Marcus understands 
the profitability or potential viable nature of a boutique cupcake business. They're all the rage these days. And what's unique about Tony's Minis is that uh, it's a do-it-yourself cupcake place. It's kind of like the yogurt places or the, you know, where you go in and you pick the toppings and all of that type of stuff to walk out with the yogurt that you want. This is what Marcus is envisioning before he gets there, and he finds that it's nothing like that. The place is a mess. The toppings are underneath the counter. Uh, their production is not working well. There's cupcakes that are burnt. There's, you know, there's lost, uh, there's lost product as a result of poor product, uh, production. The wife was funding the business, and she had already put a quarter of a million dollars behind her husband, Tony, who she believed in very much. But he was just getting them further and further in debt. In fact, he had $135,000 of debt that the wife didn't know about on top of the money that she put in. And that just drove her crazy. Now, Marcus thought that it was Tony that called him to save the business, but it wasn't. It was the wife. Here's where we get the problem, because you need to have two people working toward a common goal. And throughout the episode, they go back and forth because Tony feels that Marcus is trying to take advantage of him. Tony's got a business that's losing money. It's only bringing in $500 a day, but it's a money-losing business at the $500 mark. Uh, and hence, uh, Tony's borrowing money from his mother. He even goes to a loan shark at one point, and he's paying out payments on a weekly basis to a loan shark. So Tony's got a lot of heart, loves his business. Marcus sees that. He also loves the cupcakes. So the product's the real deal. The frosting tastes great. So he finds that he's got good people that he likes that really, uh, you know, Tony, he likes Tony, but he doesn't think that Tony thinks things through all the way to the end. He doesn't analyze things in terms of the numbers and what's going to kick out. He doesn't look at what are the net margins. And so Marcus makes a deal that Tony scoffs at. Marcus throws out and he says, I'm going to give you X for a portion of the business. And that X was approximately, I believe it was about around $100,000. Yeah, hundred k to satisfy problems and things like that. And Tony looks at him and he says, I was thinking $600,000 for 30%. So they're clearly 100K versus 600. They're clearly on two different pages. And that's the common problem that can happen between the entrepreneur and between the investor. Now I'm getting there saying, I got to start wrapping up. So I'm going to just put it in a nutshell for you. Marcus comes in, wraps up the investment, uh, and he, and he turns Tony around. So Marcus is playing therapist. He's listening to Tony's ideas. Tony was attempting to expand into Newark before he had his own shop working. The, in the end, what happens is Marcus comes in for a little bit more money to pay off the loan shark, get rid of unscrupulous potential investors that had put money in. They revamp the place, get all the uh, toppings set out, just like in the little yogurt shops that you see. They turn it around to the point where it becomes a profitable organization. And here's where Marcus does something great. He takes them out to a real cupcake shop to see how real production works. And then he takes them to a, and the recipe is great. We just need to get real production in place. He takes them out to a restaurant to make a larger deal where now he can begin to find distributors to distribute what's now a good product with good process and with the people's thinking mechanized and turned up and adjusted. That's all we got for you here today. Uh, hope you enjoyed the episodes. Remember, if you haven't watched them yet, go watch them on M. 
MSNBC.com. You can find them there. They're great episodes. Uh, you can, it's a paper play thing over there on MSNBC.com, but it's worth it. From After Buzz TV, remember, you can download the podcast on iTunes or uh, watch the show live here on YouTube. Remember to like the video, give us whatever comments that you have. And you can find me at Chris Howard Live on Twitter. You can also find me on LegendaryLivingDaily.com for tips, motivation, that type of stuff on a daily basis, and LegendaryLivingTV.com for YouTube. Over and out. We'll see you next week. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 